Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. When our nation turns to secularism and away from God, we have no document that can keep order in our country. Our forefathers designed this country and they wrote the Constitution with the assumption that people would be guided by a belief and obedience to God. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress. In recent decades, our government has taken drastic measures to ensure that church and state remain completely separate. But today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress argues that our modern-day interpretation of the separation of church and state actually goes against the vision cast by our founding fathers. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. This coming Monday, July 4th, is the day we send fireworks into the night sky, celebrating our nation's liberty and freedom. And it's also the deadline for the Gospel Advance Matching Challenge that started the very first day of June. If you had good intentions to double the size of your generous gift, don't delay in getting in touch with us today. The time to give is now. And when we receive your generous gift, we'll make sure that it is matched by some generous friends and therefore your gift will be doubled in size. I'm going to say thanks for your gift to the Matching Challenge by sending you a copy of a brand new book I've written for the child in your life. It's called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. Whether you're a parent or a grandparent, this book will equip you with creative means for imparting 10 of Jesus' favorite truths. My book is colorfully illustrated as well, and a copy of Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids is yours when you give a generous and much-needed gift toward the Gospel Advance Matching Challenge. Please get in touch today so that we can double the impact of your gift. Our nation is deeply divided right now, and your gift before the deadline on Monday will help us bring the light of Christ into the dark places of our country. I'll say more about the Matching Challenge and my children's book later in the program. But right now, it's time to get started with today's special message. In light of the coming July 4th holiday, we are going to repeat one of the most popular programs on Pathway to Victory. I titled today's message, America is a Christian Nation. Listen long enough to organizations like the American Civil Liberties Union or the Freedom From Religion Foundation or any other left-wing group, and you will come to believe this history of America. You'll come to believe that America was founded by a wide diversity of people from many different faiths, some deists, some atheists, and a few Christians. But they were all united by one dream. They wanted to build a completely secular nation that was devoid of any religious, especially Christian influence. Their goal was to build an unscalable wall around this country that would protect this country from any religious influence seeping in to public life. That version of American history belongs in the same category as the story of George Washington and the cherry tree. 
It is a complete myth. As we're going to discover today, America was founded predominantly, not exclusively, but predominantly by Christians who wanted to build this Christian nation on the foundation of God's will. And furthermore, these men believed that the future success of our country depended upon our fidelity to the Christian beliefs. And that's why we can say, though it's politically incorrect to do so, we say without hesitation or apology that America was founded as a Christian nation. And our future success depends upon our country being faithful to those eternal truths of God's word. Now today, in the minutes that we have, I want to do three things. First of all, I want us to look at the historical evidence for the Christian founding of our country. And I think you're going to be surprised by what you hear. Secondly, I want us to look at our detour from that Christian foundation of our nation. What has happened in our country in the last 70 years? And then finally, we're going to look at the consequences of renouncing our Christian foundation as a country. First of all, let's look at the historical evidence. What is the evidence this nation was founded as a Christian nation? Well, first of all, let's look at the spiritual beliefs of our founders. Were they neutral toward religion, as we're told? No, the fact is, 52 of the 55 men who attended the Constitutional Convention were Orthodox Christians. In fact, two of our founders, Elias Boudinot and John Jay, who happened to go on to be the first Chief Justice of our Supreme Court, went on to become the leaders of the American Bible Society. They wanted to distribute the Bible to as many people as possible. And they believed that the message of the Bible could transform lives and set the nation on a proper moral course. Yes, it is true that two of our founders were deists, not Christians. They were deists, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin. And yet even these deists did not ignore the spiritual foundation of our country. It is interesting that both of these men, Jefferson and Franklin, worked together to propose a national seal for the new United States of America. You know what that seal they proposed was? It was a drawing of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, following God as the pillar of cloud. That's what they wanted to be our national symbol Benjamin Franklin believed that the Continental Congress should seek uh, God's blessing in an opening prayer every time they met. Franklin said, quote, I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build, they labor in vain that built it. That is Benjamin Franklin. Some years ago, two professors from the University of Houston, Charles Lineman and Donald Luntz, did a study to try to determine whom our founding fathers quoted the most. They figured that if they could determine whom our founding fathers quoted the most, they could better understand what they meant in these documents. They spent 10 years studying over 15,000 documents. 
And they found that the three men our founding fathers quoted the most were British philosopher John Locke, French philosopher Baron Montesquieu, and English judge Sir William Blackstone. However, our founding fathers cited the Bible four times more often than they quoted Montesquieu or Blackstone, and 12 times more than they quoted John Locke. More than a third of all the founding fathers' quotes came directly from the Bible. And another 60% came from those authors who had based their writings on the Bible. In fact, the founding fathers referenced the Bible more than all Enlightenment authors combined. And it's that historical fact that caused Ken Woodward writing in Newsweek magazine in an article, How the Bible Made America, to come to this conclusion. He said, quote, Now historians are discovering that the Bible, even perhaps more than the Constitution, is our founding document. That is Newsweek magazine. It's not Christianity Today, it's Newsweek magazine. Our founding document is the Bible. That is what the history says. Consider what some of the things our founding fathers said. George Washington, our first president in his first inaugural address, said it would be improper to omit in this first official act my fervent supplications to that almighty being. No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Or consider the words of our second president, John Adams, quote, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that as I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and the attributes of God and that those principles of liberty are as unalterable as human nature. President John Adams. Or consider this a quote by Adams. He said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Now that's an amazing concession. When our nation turns to secularism and away from God, we have no document that can keep order in our country. Our forefathers designed this country and they wrote the constitution with the assumption that people would be guided by a belief and obedience to God. Consider what the words of John Jay, the first chief justice of the Supreme Court and the co-author of the Federalist Papers were. John Jay said, Providence, that's how they referred to God, Providence has given our people the choice of their rulers and it is the duty as well as the privilege of interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. <laughs> Do you hear what this first chief justice said? Not only are we a Christian nation, we have a duty to prefer and select Christians as the leaders in this Christian nation. Why, he would be hauled into court today and sued for saying such a thing. But that was the founding fathers. That's what they believed. John Quincy Adams, as you know, was the son of John Adams. He was the sixth president of the United States. You won't believe what he said. Quote, why is it that next to the birthday of the Savior of the world, your most joyous and most venerated festival returns this day, that is July 4th, 
Is it not that in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior? Is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon the earth? That it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. John Quincy Adams. But this final quote by Adams to me is the most remarkable. Listen to what the sixth president of the United States said. Quote, the highest, the transcendent glory of the American Revolution was this, that it connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government and the precepts of Christianity. If it has never been considered in that light, it is because its compass has not been perceived. You say, well, what about what I've always heard about? What about the separation of church and state that was the foundation of our Constitution? I had this week a reporter ask me the very same question. Pastor Jeffress, what about the constitutional separation of church and state? I said, there is no such thing. He said, what do you mean there is no such thing? It's in the Constitution. I said, it's nowhere in the Constitution. You find it for me. Point it out to me. Did you know 69% of Americans believe that phrase is found in the Constitution? The separation of church and state. It's not found anywhere. Well, then where did that phrase come from? You have to look outside of a government document to find it mentioned the first time. The first time that phrase was used was in a private letter between President Thomas Jefferson and a group of Baptists from Danbury, Connecticut. In 1801, or think about 1801, that would have been nine years after the ratification of the First Amendment. In 1801, most states still had state-sponsored churches, but they were sponsored by Christian denominations. And in many states, the tax dollars you paid were went to that state-sponsored denomination, whatever it was. In Connecticut, the state-sponsored denomination was the Congregational Church. And so a group of Baptists were upset about that. They didn't want their tax dollars going to support the congregational church. And so they had to petition every year to redirect their tax dollars back to support their Baptist church. And they got tired of that hassle of doing so. And so they wrote a letter to newly elected President Thomas Jefferson asking him to rectify the situation. So on January the 1st, 1802, Jefferson wrote this letter back to those Danbury Baptists. And this is what he said in part, quote, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people, which declared that their legislature should, and then he quotes the First Amendment, make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, end of quote, thus building a wall of separation between the church and state. Now, the context of this letter is so obvious. He's quoting the First Amendment. And the First Amendment being quoted is in the context of one Christian denomination being elevated over another Christian denomination. 
And Thomas Jefferson said, our forefathers did not want that. They had given that up in England. They wanted a, 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 a country in which they were not forced to worship. They were not forced to support. The context of this was the elevation of one Christian denomination over another Christian denomination. Never in their wildest imaginations did Thomas Jefferson or the founding fathers ever believe that that First Amendment would be perverted in such a way as to try to separate our country from its Christian heritage. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? How do you know that wasn't Thomas Jefferson's intent? Well, look at his own actions as president. One year after he wrote this letter to Danbury Baptist, one year afterwards, he authorized, signed a bill to use tax revenue to support a priest going to minister to the Kaskaskia Indians. Just two days after Thomas Jefferson wrote that letter on January 1st to the Danbury Baptist, on January 3rd, 1802, he attended a worship service that was being held in the Capitol building, a worship service that he authorized. In fact, I've gone to the Capitol. I've seen his signature on the attendance roster. He was there on January the 3rd, 1802. It was Thomas Jefferson who believed in the separation of church and state who authorized the use of the Capitol for the founding of the first Christian church in Washington, D.C., and that church met there for decades and decades and decades, and Jefferson attended there. Obviously, he saw no conflict between his separation of church and state, his understanding, and the use of government to propagate and promote the Christian faith. There was no contradiction there whatsoever. Never did the founders believe that this amendment would be used to restrict religious freedom. This was to protect religious freedom. Never did the founders believe the so-called establishment clause would be used to absolutely silence prayers at graduations or Ten Commandment displays in the courthouses or nativity displays in the town square. That was never the intent of the founding fathers. You say, well, that kind of makes sense, but how do you know that for sure? Not only listen to the, uh, the writings and the words of our founding fathers, look at the early court rulings. These court rulings not only show that the nation uh, was founded on a Christian foundation, but in many cases, government was encouraged to support the Christian faith. For example, consider the case of Runkle versus Weinmiller in 1799. Now, Remember, 1799 is seven years after the ratification of the First Amendment and the no establishment of a religion clause. In 1799, the Supreme Court of Maryland said in its decision, quote, by our form of government, the Christian religion is the established religion. Now think about it. Seven years after the ratification of the First Amendment, this court says we have an established religion. It is the Christian religion. They understood exactly what the founders had in mind. They understood that yes, this is a Christian nation, but no one denomination is to be elevated by another. Because look at the second phrase. Yes, the Christian religion is the established religion and all sects and denominations of Christians are placed upon the same equal footing and are equally entitled to protection in their religious liberty. Again, the First Amendment is about protecting religious expression, not about restricting religious expression. 
The next case, Vidal versus Gerard's executors, 1844. Now, this was a complicated case, but here's the gist of it. A man died in Philadelphia, a very wealthy man, and in his will, he left his proceeds to the starting of a school for orphans. They used to call those colleges back then, a school for orphans. But he had one stipulation. That is, no Christian minister could teach in his school that he was funding. Well, the people of Pennsylvania were very upset about that. They said, if there's no Christian minister, then that means Christianity can't be taught in our schools, and we don't want that. And the Supreme Court actually ended up upholding this man's will. Why did they uphold it? Because they said the fact that you can't have a minister teach doesn't keep Christianity from being taught in the schools. And this was what they said, quote, why may not the Bible, and especially the New Testament, without note or comment, be read and taught as a divine revelation in the college? Its general precepts expounded, its evidences explained, and its glorious principles of morality inculcated. And likewise, the court had something to say about those who would say, well, then you've got to treat all religions the same. They said, it is unnecessary for us, however, to consider what the legal effect of such a device in Pennsylvania for the establishment of a school or college, for the propagation of Judaism or deism or any other form of infidelity. Such a case is not to be presumed to exist in a Christian country. Are you starting to get the drift of this? Our courts did not hesitate to say America is a Christian nation. It's interesting that the justice who delivered the majority report in that Vidal case was a man named Joseph Story. Joseph Story was appointed to the Supreme Court in 1811 by James Madison. Now, if you know your history, you know James Madison was considered to be the architect of the Constitution. He's the one who appointed Joseph Story to the Supreme Court. Later in his career, Joseph Story wrote an entire commentary on the American Constitution. And it's a commentary that has been used for decades in law schools around the country. And in his notes on the First Amendment, Joseph Story, appointed by James Madison, said the purpose of the founders in the First Amendment was to put all Christian denominations on the same level, to keep one Christian denomination from being elevated above the other. But our founders never meant for Christianity to ever be subservient to other religions in the world. There's much more evidence I want to share with you on Monday's broadcast that America was truly founded as a Christian nation. So make it a point to join us again Monday, July 4th, to hear the conclusion of this message on Pathway to Victory. I'm going to conclude today's program where I started, and that's by giving you due warning that time is running out to take advantage of the Gospel Advance Matching Challenge. Several families have banded together to provide this amazing opportunity. Because of this $500,000 gift, we are uniquely positioned to reach more people than ever with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The deadline for your giving is Monday. Remember, every gift given between now and Monday at midnight will be doubled in its impact. Now, to say thank you for your investment in Pathway to Victory, I'm prepared to send you my brand new children's book called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. 
No one has greater influence on a child than a mom or a dad or grandparent. And this book equips you with a creative tool for sitting down with your child and walking them through 10 essential lessons from Jesus. Mom, dad, grandparent, this is your God-given assignment. And I've written this book on your behalf so that you can take part in one of the most delightful roles God has given you. My book again is called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. Thank you for joining forces with Pathway to Victory to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. America was founded as a Christian nation. And because of friends like you, we're magnifying God's critical role in preserving our wonderful heritage. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'll say thanks by sending you the brand new book by Dr. Jeffress called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you both the CD and DVD sets for our current series called The Parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. Remember, every dollar you give right now will be matched and therefore doubled by another generous donor. But the clock is ticking, and our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge ends July 4th at midnight. So be sure to get in touch right away before time runs out. Again, our toll-free number is 866-999-2965, or you could always find us online at ptv.org. If you'd like to send your donation by mail, write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, wishing you a great weekend. Then join us next time when Dr. Jeffress presents the conclusion of this message called America is a Christian Nation. That's Monday, July 4th, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.